Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Beautiful people, happy, happy Sunday. This is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. It's one of those great Sundays. A little windy out here in New York City, but all is well, all is well. Um, We have a a great guest here today, actually a Super Bowl champion uh, and a a great man, actually. We've had some some conversations uh, that have been awesome, and uh, this guy's a great dad, a standout person. Um, But before we bring in this esteemed guest, and, uh, you know, I want to catch up with you. Let's catch up. Uh, so this week, over the past week, been having some uh, some some interesting things have taken place. Um, last Saturday, I went and played ball, and I kind of got hurt while I was playing. I pulled my back, I guess, because I've been going to the gym a lot, and I've been uh, working on uh, my my abs. You know, I believe in in the six pack. You know, three hundred sixty five days out the year, but uh, I had been working on my front and not necessarily my lower back, and so I pulled my back, and I was actually in the bed all week um i came on sunday of course to be with you all but at the same time i was in a lot of pain last sunday um in terms of you know but i had to come and make sure that it happened and that we were all together because you know this is create your life and you have to stick through the hard times and so uh what that taught me was is you know it's very important for us to take care of our body and to make sure that we have balance and you know that's so key to have that balance and to have that going on um and to be mindful you know, because if we don't take care of our bodies and our body will definitely remind us to uh, take care of it and let us know what our limits are. And so I'm definitely actively rehabbing and doing a lot of stretching and making sure that I pay attention to that uh, detail. Um, and also some other great things happened this week. Uh, I became a got a contributor account for uh, Black Enterprise magazine and also got a contributor account for Huffington Post. And so very excited about that. Very excited to be able to write. Um, and I'm going to write some amazing articles, some things, you know, that we've covered here on the show, but also a lot of new perspectives, a lot of 10 ways uh, articles coming that will be coming out. And, you know, the funny part about making that happen was I asked one of my friends about a month ago. I said, man, can you uh, put me in contact with your contact at HuffPost? And he tried and he didn't and he hadn't heard back. And so I reached out to him again last week. Hey, have you heard anything back? Is there anyone that I can talk to? And so he, he says, well, you know what? I think I might need to CC you on an email. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Please CC me on the email that you send this person. So he CC me on an email within two minutes. I literally sent over my bio. Um, a list of the articles that I, you know, have in the archives ready to be produced. And that person literally hit me back in less than three minutes. And I got an email that said, you know, congratulations. Here's the link to create a a Huffington Post uh, contributor account. And so, you know, I I attribute that to staying on task um, and with being prepared for the opportunity. You know, oftentimes they say that success is when opportunity meets preparation. And so just wanted to say definitely prepared and that I took that proactive approach and right then and there, you know, as soon as he sent that email, I hopped on and stuff like that. And I said, man, I want to thank you so much. And he said, man, it's your work that got you this opportunity. You know, just humbled and thankful and create your life family. We're going to keep continue to expand our platform, man, and make sure that you, you know, we're helping everybody as much many people as we can to create their lives. And when we're talking about creating our lives, that's really brings us to our guest today, a person who grew up in, uh, you know, in Brookhaven, Mississippi, man, and literally created his life through a stick to itness and lessons that he learned while growing up. And so create your life series family. I want to introduce you to uh, today's esteemed guest, Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl champion. Even though I'm not a big Dallas Cowboys fan, you know what I mean? It's all love, you know, because I'm a 49er. But I got love and respect for the Cowboys and definitely love and respect for anybody who can uh, reach the top of their particular success. So, uh, Alundis, are you here with us? I am. Uh, thank you for having me. And that was a great story. Oh, thank you, man. So, yeah, this is Alundis Bryce, Create Your Life Series family. And uh, me and Alundis, we met, what, uh, about a month? Was it a month ago? I feel like it was two or three weeks ago. 
Yeah, that's probably a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we met a couple of weeks ago. I was in Portland with uh, family. I had a speech out there and had the opportunity to go to my cousin's, uh, Shay, his birthday party. And the London Center's, uh and his son were there. And he and I just got to talking, man. And I was like, man, you, you're such an amazing and inspirational person that, man, would you please be on my radio show? And he agreed. And, and here we are, dude. Thank you so much, Alundis, for being so flexible with your schedule. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. You know, I always think God opens doors and you got to step through them and make sure that you can help out anybody in the world. So uh, thank you for having me here. Nah, man, my absolute, absolute pleasure. Uh, Alundis, man, I want to jump right into it. Um, I definitely have some questions from people who heard that, you know, who were like, oh, wow, you're going to have a cowboy on there? I got to I gotta ask them some questions. So I have some of those questions. But I first want to start out, man, and just ask you, you are a Super Bowl champion. You made it. Um, you went to Ole Miss. What was it like growing up in Brookhaven, Mississippi, back when you were coming up? You know, I grew up when I grew up in the times where you know Mississippi was our Brookhaven was kind of still segregated. You know, mm-hmm. I know that sounds funny to a lot of people, but you know, you had uh, blacks on one side of the tracks and whites on the other side of the tracks. So uh, I was blessed to have a lot of great people in my life that kind of kept me on path and sports. You know, I was one of those guys that grew up in the projects. You know, I had a really strong black mother. A mm-hmm. biological father left when I was two. And a really strong uh, man that came to my life uh, when my mom had four kids. And uh, my stepdad, who I called dad, Charles mm-hmm. L. Smith, who actually uh, came in and, and taught me a lot of great values. Uh, trials and errors, but great values. Yeah, no, I think trial and error, I mean, that's a part of everybody's journey and and what it is that, you know, makes us us. You know, we learn those experiences. You know, speaking of the projects, you have this story, man, that uh, there was a a lady, an old lady who who lived uh, above you in your projects. And every time you were run by her house when you were going jogging, she would scream out, I don't know why you're running. You're not going to be anything. Oh, most definitely. You know, I was one of those young men that I was a stubborn cat. You know, I, I was a guy about routine. And everybody knew that at a certain time of the day, you know, around 6 o'clock, uh, I was jogging. You know, I was a track guy. So I, I just kind of, uh, whenever I was frustrated or I wanted to just kind of get away, I pound the pavement. How did that inspire you or motivate you to become better? You know, I looked at that, you know, growing up with my uncles and, and my dad, they always say you take negatives and turn into a positive. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just kind of feeds that, that fire that was down within my heart to know that, you know, those words, I don't know why you're running. You're just going to be like every other black kid that's around here. You're not going anywhere. Mm. You know, so I use that fire. I use that fire to know that I may fall and, and hit my face sometimes, that I was always going to get up. Right. You know, I wasn't going to let somebody else determine what I was going to be in life. Okay. And so with that inspiration, like, did, didn't that inspire you? I mean, I read this, but it inspired you to run an extra mile just because she said that? Oh, most definitely. I, I would most definitely take that extra turn because I wanted to say in my heart, you know, I will not let you defeat me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be somebody that just because you didn't make it, I, I, I didn't have to make it. So I'd run an extra mile or I, I'd make sure that if I was running by the, the high school that I'd do a couple of more stadiums just because, just because that fire to say, you know, you can do this. You mm-hmm. know, you, 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 you're the only one that can tell you what you can't do. Right. And then when you made it uh, to college, and you, you were the first one in your family to go to college? My sister and I. So okay. um, I, I came out with my, my sister, uh, Angela Bryce. Mm-hmm. So we are the first two to go to a major university. So I went to Ole Miss, and she went to Alcorn. Wow, man. Congratulations. Now, when you, when you made you. it when you made it to Ole Miss, did you go back and, like, have you ever had a conversation with the older lady in regards to her being a motivator for you or perhaps her perspective? You know, I, I never really talked to her until after I got drafted. Uh, I remember having a draft party going back after I got drafted and uh, being in the projects and hanging out at the basketball courts and seeing that lady there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a friend of mine, because everybody knew the story, right? and she came up and she shook my hand and she had her little uh, grandson with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember looking at her and signing an autograph for her grandson and she was saying how proud she was. And a buddy of mine after that thing going, you know, why didn't you say something about her downing you? And right. I was like, and what would that have done for our grandson? I said, my job is not to bring up bad things, but to motivate. 
You know, what she did to me was a motivation. So why put it in her face? She knew she did it. She was humble enough to bring her grandson out there to say, look, somebody made it out. So why make it a negative when it was already a positive? You just, you just kind of move on and go, I want her grandson to make it now. So why talk about the bad parts when there's no need? Uh, I thanked her for that, you know. In my heart, I thanked her for it. Right. But I forgave her for it a long time ago. There's no sense in bringing up that negative part. It's all about building up our young generation and letting those guys see that they can be whatever they want to be. So you don't need to say anything bad. She knew. Wow. You know, I mean, I commend you for that. That is that is amazing. Could you see it in her face that she knew what she had done? Oh, yeah. She knew when she walked up. Uh, she knew I knew exactly who she was when she walked up there. She wasn't sure how she was going to be greeted. Uh, mm. My mom was there. My mom knew. Uh, mm-hmm. And you could see that tension. But my job wasn't to make that event something of a negative aspect. That was about joy. It was about showing uh, the people of Brookhaven, the black young men in that town and young women, that, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. You just got to put your mind to it, and you got to do the work. You know, if mm-hmm. you put the work in, mm-hmm. you're going to get something out of it. You know, you, it's funny that you say that. Can you tell us, because I, I, you know, I've also know of stories of when you, you know, were laying concrete with your uncle and then also helping one of your other uncles who was a janitor at a school used to go in and wax the floor so that you can have money for school and stuff like that. Tell us how those experiences helped you with your work ethic, you know, to go ahead and create the life that you wanted. You know, growing up, again, my, my mom and my dad, they, they worked to put food on the table. Mm-hmm. So we had to figure out other ways to go and get those snacks for those track trips and all of that. You know, need be more in yards. But my grandfather and my uncles all were masons. They all did bricks. They built houses, concrete slabs. So on that side of the family, you know, it was all work-based. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, they weren't going to make you do it, but they were going to give you those opportunities. Right. You know, you are a product of what you're raised in. So I was really lucky to be raised in a family a huge family, that the men around me and the women, they were all workers, need be in the kitchen or outside town on the pavement. So that was something that wasn't, it was an expectation that I was raised with. You know, you were going to fend for yourself. You were going to do the work. uh, You were going to learn a trade, you know, and it was from the the fact that learning how to lay concrete or my uncle who was a janitor, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we didn't look at him as somebody that cleaned up after somebody. We looked at him as somebody that had pride in what he did. Mm. And I took pride in it because when we, when I went and worked with him, it Mm -hmm. wasn't that I was a janitor. It was that I was a productive young man doing something positive in my life. And I was learning a trade from somebody that I respected and looked up to. Wow. Man, I love the way you just put that. You know, you're not as a janitor, but somebody looking up to someone, you know, and learning a trade from somebody that you respect. How did you transfer this energy into uh, into your sports career? You know, and I know you said that your mom was very pivotal in you becoming uh, who you are today. But, yeah, how did you channel that? You know, I'd love to say that I did that on my own. Mm-hmm. I didn't. There's not a thing in my life that I did on my own. You know, it's one of those things where I was lucky enough to have great people come into my life, me be a high school coach. I remember my high school track coach, Coach Sanders, Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the fastest guys in the country in junior high, outrunning people in high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember him telling me that, you know, this will take you a long way if you let it, uh, if you learn how to do the techniques out of life. So everything has been about technique. You know, mm-hmm. when I got to college, uh, Coach Neal, who I still talk to almost every day, coming to me and saying, you are a great athlete. You're stubborn as I don't know what. You're mean as I don't know what. And people are afraid of you because of that. I'm not afraid of you. I want, I'm going to earn your respect. And that one word, earn your respect, is all about who I am. You know, if you earn my respect, I respect you for that. And I had a lot of great people that I trusted who taught me a lot of things. And I, I was smart enough to listen. I was smart enough to learn. Don't get me wrong. I didn't do everything right. But they were there to tell me I didn't do it right. And they were there to tell me that I need to run that run for that or I needed to get in the classroom or go through that study hall session and get ready for a test. So I was really lucky to have a lot of great uh, men and women around me that kept me on that track. It got me to where that I could teach my boys, that I can teach other people those same lessons. Wow. Wow. So how instrumental was your mother herself in your in your journey? You know what, my mom, my mom is the rock of pretty much my entire family foundation still today. 
You know, she was a, a strong black woman who raised four kids at one point by herself, mm-hmm. you know, until my stepdad came into play. And I'll tell you how tough it was. She had a, uh, when I was growing up, uh, one of the funniest stories ever, well, not funny, uh, one of the greatest stories ever is that my mom had four kids. Mm-hmm. And when I say four kids, she had a, my oldest sister who was seven, she had my brother who was three, I was two, and my sister that was one. Now, the last three, all birthdays are in May. <laughs> May 1st, May 6th, and May 27th. Wow. Coming so up. it's like this whole little genre of guys, mm-hmm. and it's just unbelievable. Uh, my mom used to go to work. There was times when my mom didn't eat, but uh, she wanted to make sure we ate enough. You know, so this is a young lady that made sure that we had clothes on our back. Now, it wasn't Nike or Adidas. It was this off-brand name, you know, or stood in a cheese line so that we could have food on the table or... Uh, went into work from days from from the sun coming up to the sun going down, and making sure that we did homework. So my mom was a strong woman that I forever loved, and she bust her butt to make sure her kids had opportunities that she never had. Well, you know, when you say that, you know, I've I've heard, you know, you hear from time to time about you know parents' work ethic and their ability to push you, and then sometimes they don't even have the the level of education as you. Do you mind me asking what is the level of education that your mother achieved? I think the highest my mom went and my dad was probably the sixth and seventh grade. Yeah. And I think what's so amazing about that is, is that, you know, there's there's this thing called book smart and then there's a thing called life smart. You know, the ability to to project and to actually see what's coming and, and the potential, of course, in your children and in others, as your coaches did, as your mother did, as your uncles did. You know what I mean? In order to keep pushing you. And so your mom had that that those life smarts, you know what I mean? In order to to create this uh this community and this family around you and your siblings for you guys to be able to go on and uh take it to the next level you know in life period oh most definitely most definitely that's a true blessing to her strength and my aunts and uncles strength and my dad and all those people that helped along the journey you know those guys knew that the most important part of life Mm -hmm. is helping the people around you excel and that's kind of that ethic that's kind of instilled in me that if I don't give anything else to my boys, I have to give them that lesson, that, that, that one character, that one character piece to know that your job in life is to help the next man to exceed, but also you making sure that you stay on your path to your journey. Right. And you have two sons, uh, one twelve and one seven, correct? Correct. Yeah. And... You know, it seems amazing that, you know, I um, I read, you know, we, we had our talk and, you know, you you make sure that you read to your son before he goes to bed. Uh, you know, you play with him all the time. I just saw your attentiveness to uh, to him when we were just there at the birthday party. And I was like, wow, man, this dude is is awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome dad. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I think that, um, you know, it, it goes back to those lessons. You know, I, I remember my dad. Uh, my biological father, I met him for the first time uh, when I was getting off a bus in, in Georgia to go play. Mm. Um, I had never talked to him, uh, knew his name, but I'd never really saw him before. You know, mm. like I said, my, my, my dad raised me with my stepfather, but I remember him coming around my junior year of college because, of course, his son was supposed to be a potential first round draft pick. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think when I look at my boys, I want them to know that uh, I love them. <laughs> they are everything to me, and I want to, I want to be a big kid around those guys. Don't get me wrong; I'm the heavy when I have to be the heavy. But right. uh, it's it's all about showing them that they're loved. You know, the one thing when the kids that I worked with, uh, those at risk youth at Rosemary Anderson, the one thing that those guys didn't have. Or they had it. It just came from the wrong places. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me all the time, why does a young man join a gang? Or why does a young woman do this? Or why did they do that? It's because that's who loved them. That's the love that they feel. Mm-hmm. And that's the group that took them in. Well, I want my boys to know in life, they don't need a group because they have a dad. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. They don't need a group because they have a dad. Now, when you did see your dad and when you had that conversation, how did you feel? Like, what was, what was going through you your know, head? You know, at that time? Believe it or not, I didn't have a conversation with him. Okay. What happened is that uh, Coach Neal, one of those other men who helped me along my journey, got mm-hmm. back on the bus, and he was like, hey, there's this guy out here. Security is saying that there's this guy here named Willoughby Bryce Jr. 
that wants to meet you. And he said, he's your dad. And I went, this is where I assume you live. I said, wait a minute, that's my biological father. Mm. And he was like, because I know your father's name is Charles O. Smith. I've met him many a times. I was like, yeah, that's my dad. And he was like, well, this man said he's your biological father. And I was like, yeah, he is. He is. And he's like, what do you want me to do? I said, nothing. I'm going to my room. I got a game tomorrow. So I didn't even talk to him. Wow. Focus. You were focused at the time. Oh, yeah. So that being said, have you ever had a conversation with him? or? You know, after my, after my father passed away, I remember my mom, and that was another one of those journeys that took a little bit. But between my mom and my sisters and my brother, you know, I remember being in Dallas, and that was off-season, and they were like, look, you know you're always talking about your dad passing away. My father died three days after I got drafted. Oh, wow. Um, uh, but uh, they'd always talk about, well, you know you have another dad, and you just he wants to meet you. So I, I did. I, I finally met him. Uh, he was a great man. He actually did a lot of great things. He actually raised one of my nieces as his daughter because his sister was on drugs. He, he did a lot of great things. He just wasn't there for me. Mm. Um, so I have no hard feelings for him. He did pass away eventually, but uh, and I was glad I met him and talked to him because he was a great man. Don't get me wrong, I didn't go out of my way to be a son because that wasn't our, our role, because that was never established when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, it was just someone I was meeting that wanted to be a part of my life because he did help my mom bring me into his world, and I thank him for that, and I thank him for that. But him explaining why he didn't raise me just because him and his mom didn't go, him and, him and my mom didn't make it, uh, was a hard conversation for him, you know, and that's... One of, the cra- one of the craziest things, though, it's one of those lessons that I learned because clearly I'm not with my son's mom. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that it taught me is that me and Heather, we are great parents. We co-parent really well together with my youngest son. Uh, me and Kim in Mississippi are great, are great co-parents together because that relationship with my biological father taught me that I will never do that to my boys. So mm-hmm. I did learn something from it. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that it sounds like it sounds like to me is, is that you have a an ability to be optimistic and to see the positive in people, you know, and to to respect them for who they are and where they are uh, in their lives. Oh, most definitely. You have to. I think that uh, in any situation, there's always something good that can come from it. You just have to make sure you're not uh, going into it with closed eyes and a closed mind. I think just because you don't agree with something. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not right or it can't be right or it can't be something positive out of it. I think that one of the things I remember hanging out with Dion and, uh, when I was a rookie, uh, and we were at practice one day. Dion Sanders, and, you're talking about. I know about. this is on a whole other topic, but yep. we're at practice one day, and Dion, uh, I did like a speed turn. Mm-hmm. And Dion's one of the greatest DBs that ever played the game, and I remember him coming over to me and going, hey, rookie, you got to teach me that. And I was like, what are you talking about, teach you that, man? He said, you're the best DB ever to play the game. And he's like, that's right. He said, but as soon as I stop learning stuff like I just saw, you become the best, and I become that second best. So that's kind of how I live life, you know. You always learn from any situation you can get into, and you take something from it, and you make it your own. No, that makes sense. Okay, so definitely we gotta gotta learn, and I'm glad you brought up Dion because I I heard a story about you guys in the locker room uh, when Dion came to the Cowboys. So, Alundas, <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about that song? You know what we we used to always give him uh, grief about that song. You know, Dion can't rap; he knows he can't rap. <laughs> I love him to death, though. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, Dion during that time was you know he had a lot of great friends. You know, MC Hammer and all those guys used to come by the locker rooms. And first time I ever met Ice Cube was because of Dion. So um, he was truly one of those cats that was uh, two different guys. You know, I remember loving watching him transform into Showtime, I mean, prime time. Mm. You know, he, he was truly a great, great man mm-hmm. off the field and even a better man on the field. I love him to death. Well, I mean, what was it like being a team? Because you weren't just a teammate of Deion Sanders. You you know, Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith. Man, that's a lot of Hall of Famers right there. What was it like being, you know, the teammate of those guys? You know, it was an honor. You know, it's one of those things where when we talk about those guys, people talk about, you know, that team. You know, there were a lot of superstars on that team. Uh, and they asked what it was like being in the locker room. You know, it was like, 
You know, I remember first time I met Eric Williams, you know, or Emmett Smith. You know, those guys weren't talking about football. They were talking about fraternity, you know, because we're fraternity brothers. Mm. Um, you know, so it was just like a, an outspurt of, of an extended part of college, you know, mm. because you go into that locker room and nobody's really uh, trying to be that big guy, even though you know they're superstars. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like every other day, you know, being in a locker room, laughing and joking, cracking jokes on people, sitting in the steam room, you know, going out there, doing battle on the field and coming back in and, and they're just kind of being friends, you know. And, of course, you're not friends with everybody in the locker room, but those guys made sure that you were a part of uh, that family and it was in a family environment. Wow. Okay, that that sounds amazing. Now, I want to back up a little bit because I, I read this about you, man, and I thought that this was amazing, I guess, to show that test of character and that desire to become better. And obviously your mom and your uncles and your coaches pushing you. Um, I read that at the end of your senior year, your senior season, uh, you were you were shot during an yeah. on-campus preparation. And then after an 11-day stay in the hospital, you resume your preparation for the NFL draft? Yeah, I. Um, so what happened is after a party at a Sigma party, I just got this new truck and we're out looking at my truck in the parking lot and a freshman had gotten into an altercation with a young man mm-hmm. um, in the party and they put him out and the young man came back after the party and was trying to fight this freshman. So I just happened to be in between the two, mm-hmm. kind of keeping them apart and the young man pulled the gun. So he put the gun over my shoulder and someone pushed him back, and the gun went off in my chest. Wow. Actually, it inch from my heart. Yeah, I, I was, and didn't even know I was shot. It was one of those things where uh, we got it all broke up, and one of my best friends, Derek Jones, who's also the secondary coach for Duke right now, um, I remember sitting there talking to him, and I went, man, something's wrong. And he was like, what's wrong, Bryce? And I was like, I can't breathe. And we opened my jacket, and I was shot. Wow. Um, so they rushed me to the hospital. Um, I was in intensive care, and I remember uh, the doctor saying that I'd be in the hospital for months and that I was probably done playing football. And, you know, I, I kind of always tell people that, you know, at Ole Miss there's this honor of wearing uh, number 38 and Chucky Mullins, and this is a young man that died, uh, broke his neck on the football field, but it's called the Cur- Chucky Mullins Courage Award. Mm. And I always contribute that passion and that fight to him. You know, mm. this is a man that was in a wheelchair, and I remember watching him as a freshman and him saying, you know, never quit, never give up. And mm. my aunt was there at the hospital, my mom was at the hospital, and I just got out of intensive care, and I'm sitting there, and the bullet was still on my back. And they were like, you don't need to move because if the bullet shifts to the right, it's going to hit your spine. And I was sitting there, and I was going, you know, this, this ain't going to stop me. You know, I remember talking to the coaches at the Senior Bowl because I didn't get to go, and I was depressed about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, this isn't going to stop me. So I got up one night at about 2 o'clock in the morning because I'd asked my aunt to go get me some razors because I had hair on my head uh, and hair on my face, and I wanted to shave. Mm-hmm. And they were going to shave me the next day, and I got up and did it myself. And by the grace of God, the bullet went the other way. They took it out. I got up and walked the next day, and the next day I told them it was time for me to go home. So... Yeah, just that stubbornness and that determination. You know, I was not going to quit. I was not going to let somebody tell me what I couldn't do. Mm. Uh, when I got home, I remember sitting on the porch, and my mom was like, don't be leaving this porch. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And I got up and walked to the mailbox. <laughs> and I walked back to the porch. And mm. then a couple hours later, I walked down the street and then tried to walk to my grandmother's house and got stuck, and they had to come get me. So I didn't try it again that day. And the next day, I walked to my grandmother's house. And when I got there, I walked back home. I packed my truck, went back to Old Mess, and said, hey, it's time to go to work. So it's just that whole little determination thing that I just refuse to let something deter me from what I know that I can do. Um, and it did drop me down in rounds. I was supposed to be the first to be taken that year in the first round, and I dropped down to the fourth round, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, by the grace of God, I still got drafted, you know, and I still got <laughs> I still got to, you know, win that Super Bowl. It's probably one of the greatest stories ever, you know, go from supposedly being the first guy taken, you know, the third pick in the first round, being right. shot and almost dead, to getting back in and winning the Super Bowl the same year. So 
You know, you, you can't write a story better than that. No, you you absolutely cannot. And you know, Bryce, what I what I want to ask you with that is, you know, there's something that we're that we haven't quite touched on yet, and that's the work ethic um, of actually on the field. Can you tell me what it what that looks like? You know, because to me, if you go pro in any sport, then you're going the extra mile by far um, than the other guys. You know what I mean? So can you give us like a little bit of detail of what that looks like on the football field day to day, you know, of going that extra mile in order to be the best or one of the best in order to be, you know what I mean, a top uh, first round pick, top three first round pick? What does that look like? You know, one of my fans is that great players do things people never see. Mm-hmm. You know, great players do things people never see it has to be your motto. You know, and I know there's a lot of fans out there, but what that meant to me is that, you know, you had to work on your craft. You know, when I'd sit, I'd be in my room, and I'd be in my football stands watching television because as a DB, you have to be very comfortable in your stands. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd walk around. I remember when Coach Neal, when I was a receiver when he came there. Actually, I was a scout team quarterback. But <laughs> And him saying he was going to move me to DB, and I said, I don't know how to backpedal. He'd make me walk around campus backwards. Uh, and before I went into a door, I had to two-step to go in, you know, and people were laughing, but I didn't care, you know. And um, if I didn't do it, you know, he'd, he'd get on me. So it's all those little things, all the small things that make you great, you know, and it's not just about being a great athlete. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen a million great athletes out there that don't make it. It's about getting your education, uh, paying attention to what you need to do in school and out of school. It's about staying out of trouble off the field. It's about doing your homework. It's about learning how to read film. It's about how to study and break down plays. It's about understanding how to talk the language of football. You know, mm-hmm. it's about understanding that don't slap at the ball, you punch the ball. Just all those little things that people forget because they're great athletes, and I can just do that because I'm fascinating, you know, a better athlete. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you stand in front of a guy like Michael Irvin, who's just as good or better? What are you going to do then? You know, what's going to happen when you get really tired and, and now technique has to take over, and I didn't work on that technique. So it's just all about doing those small things, you know, getting there on time. You know, if you're supposed to be there at 5, you got to be there at 4.45, you know. Uh, coaches say when you're on time, you're late. When you're early, you're on time. You know, that's, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all that little stuff that gets you there. And I know that's not on the field, but it's just being there. You know, you watch these documentaries. When you have these athletes out there after practice doing small stuff, catching the balls or backpedaling or going for the deep ball or trying to knock balls down, they're not doing that just because they want other people to see them work. They're doing that because they're focused and they have a goal in mind. And you have to have a goal in mind and you have to be willing to sweat, bleed, cry, uh, and go that extra mile just to get one part of a technique right. Um, and it's just the work, just the work ethic and the power just to believe that I need to get this one part right today. And once I get this part right, I'll move to the next part and just fight and fight and fight and be determined about what you're doing. Mm. Okay. Now, this is something that I think is big and is uh, is very timely. Um, well... I'll ask you, I'll preface it with this question first. What does a day in the life of a of a professional football player look like for you? Like, what, what was that like on a day-to-day basis? Like, what time were you going to practice? Were you having two-a-days, three-a-days on a regular basis? How many days are you resting during the week? Like, what does that look like? You know, it's different genres for it. You know, um, thankfully I grew up in Mississippi and football is God. You mm-hmm. know, football and track was God to us. So uh, one thing I to tell him, it was a whole new learning curve because mm-hmm. I was one of those guys that had the talent in high school but didn't have to work on my craft. The coach would just say, hey, take off. Give them the ball and let them go. They can't catch him. Mm-hmm. So uh, once we got to college, you go. once I got to college, I think one of the most pivotal parts, uh, some of my best friends, um, Danny Boyd and John Green and all those guys, mm-hmm. I remember walking into my first practice and being that guy that was a superhero that couldn't play a lick because I didn't know how to read offenses. I didn't know how to read defenses. So mm. uh, I think a day in a life as an athlete is, one, you know, um, I get up. I still get up every day at 5 o'clock. But you get up, get something to eat, 
Um, if you didn't have class, so say I'm done with class, I'm in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all about getting getting to the clubhouse, uh, getting in your routine. Nine times out of ten, I was going to go get in the steam room and relax for a minute. Uh, and then it was about film. You know, need be if it was a special team day, because uh, if you're a DB, you're always going to get in there and studying and learning your craft and learning what your adjustments were, mm-hmm. uh, talking to coaches, reading that playbook, um, getting to know the people around you, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that uh, you're doing those small things. Great players are things people never see. So these are all the stuff that people never get to see. Mm-hmm. But those guys doing all that hard work and that film work, and then when you're out there on the on the field, you have to have a plan. You know, I can't do an entire game plan in one day. Mm-hmm. So today I'm going to get better at cover three or cover zero or cover one, or today I'm going to work on my bracket technique or uh, in special team double-double or gunner stuff. So it's all these little things that you have to prepare for, and you got to take it slow. you got to just make sure. I'm focused today on gunner. I'm going to mm-hmm. learn how to get off the move on a double-double. That's when they got two people out there trying to keep from getting down the field on the punt. So mm-hmm. you just got to make sure that you stay focused and have a plan. Once you got that plan, mm-hmm. then you work through that plan, and it's all leading up to that game day or that uh, practice or trying to make a club or whatever you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So quick question. Is it true that Deion Sanders bought you the BMW that you were looking like, looking at in order to get his number 21 for the Cowboys? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. No, I read that story, man. I thought that was so interesting. I was like, I gotta ask him. I gotta ask him. I gotta ask him. Um, yeah, that was that was a crazy one. <laughs> it, you know, researching you, man, and having had the opportunity to meet you, you know, I see the sense of calm about you, and you know, it makes me wonder. It seems like you've been able to keep your personal life private. Um, in today's day and age, I feel like a lot of athletes' lives become public and things like that. Do you have any advice for anybody who might, you know, be in the limelight or might be a professional athlete that could help them to keep their uh, professional and personal life, you know, uh, private? You know, um, don't get me wrong. I've done some stuff out there that has gotten in the paper, but I, I think the biggest piece is just kind of that calm of uh, just being human, you know, just being um, just being like everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. that respect factor of, you know, I don't need, you know, the, you get in trouble when you need someone to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pride was knowing that the people that knew me were the people that needed to know me. Um, so not really wanting or having that attention. Don't get me wrong. Every athlete loves attention. I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't like it when I got attention. It's pretty awesome. Right. But at the same time, I wasn't one that needed it. Um, another lesson that I learned from Dion, actually, I remember sitting at a Denny's after a preseason game my rookie year and was sitting there. And a lady got really mad at Dion because he wouldn't sign an autograph because we were having breakfast. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. We had to get back to the dorm. And uh, he was like, you're probably wondering why I didn't do that. And I, I was like, yeah, why? He's like, because if I sign one, you have to sign them all. And we don't have time for that, I said. And then when you say no, then you become a jerk. So it's best just not to do it because right now it's our time. And we're not really trying to be anybody but us. So that's kind of how I live my life. It's just mm. kind of I'm just trying to be me. Um, there's always going to be those cameras. But if you don't give them anything to take a picture of, not really worth taking a picture, is it? Well, that's... Man, that's awesome. Thank you for that. I'm actually uh gonna gonna live by that uh a bit more as well. I'm very, you know, into being humble and always being uh reachable and approachable uh, myself. But I mean of course I'm not you or Deion Sanders, so <laughs> it's a little more easier. <laughs> <laughs> so you've had the opportunity. You played in the NFL for a few years and then yeah. um you you uh, your your career was kinda ended shortly because I think you had split your knee, correct? Yeah, I broke my patella. Yeah. And so you had the opportunity to play uh, for a few um, Canadian football league teams, a few arena leagues, and then you've also uh, had the opportunity to be a coach. What was the yes. transition like for you stepping away from professional athletics into uh, being a coach and then also into the role now that you have as a director? Um, and I'll let you talk more about your director role as well. You know, it, it's actually, and, and people laugh when I say this, um, it's all the same to me because I thought 
I treat it all the same. You know, in that same realm of respecting the people you're around and doing the hard work to make sure you're great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. There's nothing like hitting people. That's one of the greatest tasks in life. I loved it. It was wonderful. Uh, the fear of being up there and making a receiver understand that he was going to get demolished. That was my role in life. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But moving into the world of coaching, mm-hmm. it was the same realm for me. I just had to teach other people how to do that. You know, and it goes back to, you know, letting them buy into your philosophy. And, and great players do things people never see is always my philosophy. You know, you need to go work on your craft, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. You know, I wanted to teach you how to be a director of sorts on the football field. I needed you to know as a corner what those other 10 guys were doing because it was vital that you know that because they're counting on you. So what are they counting on you for? You know, so just all those and being a student. You're always a student athlete, even when you're in the league. Mm-hmm. You just become a student of the game. Right. So uh, just making sure that uh, they, they learn that. Probably the hardest part about coaching mm-hmm. was the fact that on game day, I couldn't play. You know, you wanted to be out there because you see stuff happening and you want to be the one after making the play. So that was probably the hardest transition uh, of just knowing that um, I had to now trust in my guys to do the work mm-hmm. and knowing that I wanted to be doing it. So that was a hard part of, of coaching, but uh, I loved it. It was pretty awesome. Okay. And now you're um, the program director of, of employment for adults with disabilities at uh, SL Start. How do you like that role and what is uh, fulfilling about it for you? You know, uh, this role is, believe it or not, it's like college coaching to me, uh, the recruiting side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, because you still get to go out and you get to talk to businesses and uh, help them get out of the way of helping a population that has been greatly un, um, served, underserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most rewarding part of it is watching these young men and women get jobs, you know, watching them develop uh, and go into a realm of life that they have never, ever had. You know, this is a population that at one point, uh, was the modern-day slave trade because uh, they were put into these warehouses, uh, not paid minimum wage, and was uh, doing production work for companies that were just making a ton of money off of them. Wow, I never so, knew that. Oh, yeah, they, they called it sheltered work. So they outlawed sheltered work, uh, and it became a community, uh, community work now. Mm. Uh, so there's so many different aspects of what I do in helping these young men and women uh, to now become productive in society uh, in their eyes and also in the eyes of, you know, employers because, again, they don't look and they don't sound like us sometimes. Or you're not sure exactly what to think about them because you don't know. So my job is a couple of things. One, to educate those employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, to use my, you know, people laugh all the time. My, my employer, my employees always laugh because they go, man, why should you make this look easy? And I said, it's always easy when you can walk somewhere in with a Super Bowl ring. If they don't want to talk to you, you just kind of figure out how to get to that Super Bowl ring. And then, of course, they want to talk now. And you just kind of ease your clients in as you go. Mm. Um, but you have to use techniques. You have to use what you got. But it is so rewarding to um, help these young men and women become uh, realize that dream of having a job and uh, becoming independent. Mm. Okay. Um, I got to transition back. Uh, man, that, that's really uh, sounds like fulfilling work, man. Thank you for the work that you do to help out the population. Uh, it's important, definitely important. Uh, I got to run back to uh, to football, man, and ask you this question: Who's the most difficult person you ever covered? You know, I've had a lot of people that was hard to cover, mm-hmm. but I was lucky. You know, I got to cover the one nemesis of life in football every day. You know, I'd say Dion because Dion had that deceptive ski, but it was actually Michael Irvin. You know, Mike was this guy who you didn't know who you were going to get at any given moment. You know, I remember the first fight I ever got into was with Michael Irvin at practice because he was mad that I covered him up and he slapped the living crap out of me on my helmet the next play. But he was a guy that was fast, but not really fast, but he ran really, really good routes. And he was really strong, and he knew how to use his hands to get on your hips. So it was all about covering Mike with technique. He was a great guy to get really, really good at. 
Mm-hmm. Um, probably my next finest would have to be Jerry Rice because he was a slow guy, but he ran his routes at the same speed, and he was just a really difficult cover uh, because he never, ever gave any telltales. Uh, as a DB, you're always studying film to get those telltales from the receivers, the quarterbacks, the running backs, or how they're running their route. And Mike and um, and and Jerry never gave those telltales. You know, they didn't throw their hands down or they didn't dip their hips. Are these crazy little things that DBs look at mm-hmm. uh, when you're studying film? So I would have to give the tales to Mike because I worked with him every day, and he was such a fierce competitor uh, every day, every snap, uh, and he made you get better because he just didn't. If you wasn't going to fight and work hard with him, he didn't want you to cover it. And that made me better as a player. Mm. Jerry Rice, because I always looked up to him, and it was an honor finally to cover him, you know, growing up a Mississippi guy. That's what I was going to say. He's also from Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Alanis, I want to sneak this in real quick. I just got to know, what top three things would you tell somebody looking to create their best life? Say it again? Top three things you would tell someone who's looking to create their best life? to reach a level of success that they've been dreaming of? You know, I, I think that the most important word there mm-hmm. is dedication. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I say dedication because uh, you got to understand that in the journey of life, there, there's a couple of things that's going to happen. Uh, one, you're, you're going to try really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, you're going to fail, and you're going to fall on your face. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a misstep. Um, we used to have a saying uh, as DBs, you know, they say great players make big plays and big games. So I didn't believe that. I, I always said that uh, a great player was a player that was going to make a great play after a big play has been made on you. And that's kind of mm-hmm. like in life. You know, you're going to have these hiccups and you're going to make a mistake. So the question is, character comes into play for that dedication once you made that mistake, or once you stepped in that hole, how are you going to get out? What are you going to do? Uh, are you going to give up? Or are you going to say, you know what? I'm going to brush myself off. I learned something from that, and then I'm going to keep going. You know, and that's how you get there. It's just all the point of never giving up. Mm-hmm. They never said it wasn't going to be hard, right? But they always said you can never give up. You know, you fall down all the time. Mm-hmm. You got to get up, wipe the stuff off, and keep going. Okay. Man, I have like 10 more questions for you, but we're running out of time. Alundas, how can people stay in contact with you? Do you, uh, your Twitter, your Instagram, your social media, how can people stay in contact and learn more and, you know, follow your journey as you, of course, raise these two uh, beautiful young men who are going to become uh, outstanding citizens and, uh, you know, continue your journey to help and, and guide people? I do have a Twitter account. I I'm going to have to send you that information because I don't know it right offhand. I think it's a London stop, right? But I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I check it every once in a while and I get on there sometimes. Of course, I'm on Facebook. You know, I being up here in Oregon, uh, all my family and friends down south, you know, I'm always posting pictures of me and my guys or something that I'm doing or playing golf. So those guys and my mom and my family can always see pictures. You know, uh, they can follow me on that. I have no problem with accepting friends and, and talking. I think it's awesome, uh, especially if I can help somebody in their journey. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, and I do I actually have your Twitter here. It is Alundis. It's Alundis Bryce, at Alundis Bryce. That's A-L-U-N-D-I-S-B-R-I-C-E. And uh, Alundis, I actually sent you a friend request on Facebook. Well, I sent you a message because we couldn't request because we didn't have mutual friends, so you have to actually okay. see your messages, add me. I'm looking forward to uh, having our conversations off uh, off air, man, and definitely, you know, asking you some more questions. Maybe we can get you on for just a straight podcast episode where, um, you know, you, you drop some more knowledge on us. But, man, I want to say thank you so much for uh, being here and, you know, giving me your time today. Hey, thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. And, and, man, this is a great thing. And, again, congratulations on the uh, articles. I think you're going to do great, and I love to read some of those sometimes. Yes, sir. Uh, will do. I'll make sure that they uh, come to your inbox. Most definitely. All right, Alundis. Have a great day, man. Thank you. You and your fans, have a great night, and uh, thank you guys again. Yes. So, beautiful people, that was Alundis Bryce. And, I mean, that, that brother, he dropped a lot of great gems for us. And, you know, I just want to say, um, also that 
you know, it's one of those things, man, where you have to pay it forward. And that's what he did, you know, meeting him there in uh, in Oregon. But actually, I want to jump straight into our recap and just cover some of the points that that man uh, <clears throat> that he had for us. And he, he said that, you know, never quit, never give up. He he learned that in college and that's what helped him to take it to the next level and to keep pushing after he had got shot and 11 days later to go ahead and start preparing for what he wanted to be his life. He wanted to create his life. He always said that. And he also said that, you know, being early is important and he's waking up every day at five, 5 a.m., you know, no matter what. And he's been retired for some, for some time, but that's a part of his regiment. Um, and then he also said that, you know, he has a need to just be himself you know, like he attention is cool, of course, when he was a pro athlete, but he doesn't have to uh, to be extra. And so that he said that that was one of the important things that helped him to, uh, you know, to keep a low profile and just kind of remain uh, a normal citizen. And he also said that one of the most important things to do when trying to create your life is to remain dedicated to the cause that it is that you want to achieve. You know, it, no matter how hard it gets, you know, no matter how easy it is, your peaks and your valleys, remain humble and stay dedicated. So beautiful people, that is this episode of the Create Your Life series. Looking very, very forward to uh, to being with you soon uh, next week. Of course, subscribe uh, on our website, cyoseries.com. And as always, uh, create your life. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed, and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Crée la tua vita. Create your life. On skip your liver. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life.